I kind of giggled as I walked up the stage just a second ago because there's a little tape square over there that I've had to stand in for the last five weeks and just stay in my spot, you know. I'm moving today, okay? I'm moving around today. <laughs> that doesn't matter much to y'all, but it matters a lot to me. Um, it's honestly great to see you guys here this morning as we continue to talk about the names of God above every other, this idea that God's name, as you know, is above every other. And my hope for you guys, as I've said multiple times through this series, is that through the course of this, this, the idea of understanding God and knowing Him personally is drawing you into a closer relationship with Him, that you're actually closer to Him now than you were four or five weeks ago when we started this, that this is not just an academic thing, but it's actually a very personal thing in your life. So let me begin by reading two verses from the book of Jeremiah. It says this in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. This is what the Lord, and it's Yahweh, says, the wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong person should not boast in his strength. The wealthy person should not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, Yahweh, self-existent, personal, and present, as we've talked about, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. This is the Lord, Yahweh's declaration. The key phrase in that passage is that phrase that says, let him, let him boast in this, that he knows and understands me. That's what God's saying. God actually wants us to know him. He wants people to understand him. That may sound like an arrogant thing to say, well, I know and understand God. God's a mystery. There are a lot of things about God that no one knows, okay? You can't put God in a box and explain him fully and perfectly and completely. But what you can do is know him and explain him as he has revealed himself. We use that phrase a lot, God's revealed himself. Essentially what it means is this, God has sought to communicate over and over again. The initiative is his. He is constantly seeking to say to us, to communicate to us, this is who I am. Because when we don't understand that, everything else about our life falls out of place. But once we understand who he is, what his heart is about, then that directs and guides so much else about our life. So over the next few weeks, by the end of this series on Father's Day, so a few weeks away from now, um, we're going to end this up. And by the time we end, you will have discovered, if you've been a part of the entire series, you will discover 20 different names for God. And that's not all there are. There are others, and you can continue to study that on your own if you'd like to, because there are a lot of names of God. But to know 20 names of God, 20 different parts of his character, 20 different attributes of who he is, I think will be incredibly helpful to you in your walk with the Lord. I encouraged you guys several weeks ago to maybe figure out some way to graphically present that, maybe to write that in your Bible. One guy emailed me and said, look, I'm trying to keep up with this and put them in my Bible. And I said, that's an excellent idea. Because when you spend time with God, you probably have your Bible with you. And so if they're written somewhere in your Bible where all you have to do is flip it open, there's usually a couple of blank pages at the front or back, and you've got them written there or you've got them taped in there or something, then when you sit down to spend time with, the word, with, with God through his word, you're not just simply saying, oh, you know, I've got to remember all those. What's God like? Well, as you just scan through those, it'll give you a biblical portrait of the way God actually gives you permission and wants you and me to think of him. And that changes everything. It changes everything about your relationship with him. So I hope you'll consider that. Now, this is not just an academic study. I said that a minute ago. This is not just something to say, well, now I know a lot about the names of God. Knowledge by itself is empty. God is invisible, but he's not unknowable. And he has made himself known through his names. And so I hope that as you think about that, you'll think about this, that, that Jeremiah said, 
Don't let a wise man boast about his wisdom or about his strength or about his wealth. And, and for men, most men, it's one of those three things for us, or two or three of those things, right? How smart we are, how strong we are, how much we know. He says, he's not condemning those things. He just says, that's not something to boast about. Those aren't necessarily worthy goals from God's perspective. He said, if you want to boast about something, I'll give you something to boast about. If you want to boast about something, boast that you know and understand me. Go for that. Make that your goal. Not just for the sake of knowledge, but that it might result ultimately in supremely loving me. Because I don't know how you can know God and not love him when you understand who he is. So this morning, I'm going to help you discover two more names. And this first name, uh, if you're taking notes, is the name Atik Yum. And I realize that's not a compound of Elohim or Yahweh. And I'm probably saying them wrong because they're in Hebrew. But the name is Atik Yum. And what it means is, it means essentially um, the one who rules over time, who's before all days and who's after all days, or more popularly translated, the Ancient of Days. Have you heard that name before? You've heard God referred to as the Ancient of Days. There's some songs like that. And so you may have thought, what does that actually mean? Where is that revealed? Well, in the book of Daniel, there are three places in the Bible that mention the Ancient of Days as the name of God. And all three of them are in the book of Daniel. All three of them are actually in the seventh chapter of the book of Daniel. So you can turn there if you want. We're going to look at a couple of places there. But you remember, most of us read Daniel and we read up to the seventh chapter and we stop. Because once chapter seven starts, it gets kind of weird. You know, after seven, it's like... What is all this stuff with multi-heads and weird stuff and horns and powers? And it's like, we seek to understand it, but we, we're kind of left wanting a lot of times when we read that. So sometimes we steer away from that. And yet there's a lot of great truth in that. I hope you guys have been listening uh, as people have sat here. Some of you participate, over 100 of you participated in just reading through God's word over the last three days. It's been amazing. Uh, my wife listened all of Thursday night. I went to bed. I got up the next morning. She's still listening to it. I was like, you stayed up all night? She's like, yeah, it's been awesome, you know. So I hope you've benefited from that. We're, quite, we're not quite finished. We're going to finish that up today. But just to read from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation, all the revelation of God is beneficial to us. Even the begats, even the names, okay? All that stuff is part of God's revelation to us. And so Daniel may be a book that's a little bit unfamiliar, at least from chapter 7 on. When in chapter 7, here's what happens. Daniel actually, you know, can interpret dreams. He has that gift from the Lord. And he actually has a dream of his own. It's not a dream of a king that he's going to interpret at this particular time. He has a dream of his own. And it says he has a dream, and in that dream he has visions. So even that's a little bit like, what? How does that work? I have no idea. But that's what it says. So he has these weird dreams, visions. And he dreams of these four beasts rising up out of the sea. And describes the beast, and I'm not going to get into that detail this morning. You can look that up for yourself. But here's the point. Every one of those beasts represent a world power or a nation. A group of human beings who've come together and pulled their resources and said, we are something to be feared, you know, world power. And that's happened all throughout the history of man, and it changes constantly. And so what happens here when you get to verse 9 of chapter 7 is we see now that Daniel's seen all this stuff about these world powers, now he's going to introduce to us the final judge, the one who will judge all of these world powers. And so in Daniel 7 verse 9, it says this, Daniel says, I kept watching. And thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Atik Yum took his seat. The God who is before all time, above all time, and after all time took his seat. And if you go on to read chapter 7, what you realize is that it describes what God looks like in that situation. He's got white hair, and he's got this amazing throne he's sitting on with these wheels, and they are flames, and 
It's cool. If you're a guy, you like that kind of stuff, right? So the point of that is this, though, that God, the ancient of days who is beyond time, will ultimately judge every single person in the world at some point in the future. And so we'll talk about that more in just a minute. But you have to remember the context. It's always important to remember context. David, sorry, not David, Daniel, Daniel has been exiled. So it would be as if someone came in here today and rounded all of us up and took us to another country in the world where we didn't know the language and we, we had to leave everything we owned here. We just got to take what we could take with us. And we go to this foreign country. We don't know their customs. We don't know their language. And all of a sudden, your name's not Paul anymore. Now we're going to call you some other name. And they give us all new names. And we don't know if we're ever going to be able to come back to our homes here. We don't know if we come back what we would even find. And we're not necessarily even with our family. That is what the Israelites experienced. We talk about the Babylonian exile. What it means is Nebuchadnezzar, who was the leader of Babylon, comes in, captures Israel, takes them away from their promised land where they live, where they grew up, where the temple was, where everything was that they understood, all their customs. Takes them to a foreign land, gives them different names, teaches them a different language. That's where Daniel is in the midst of his life. And you remember at one point, Daniel was told not to pray and he still prays and so they threw him into this den of lions and ultimately the lions didn't harm him. Same Daniel. Every time Daniel's in a tough situation, God comforts him. God comes to him and rescues him. Into that situation, Daniel gets this vision of God who is bigger than what's going on in his life. It's so easy for all of us. In the, and men, we've been through it the last few months here, right? Not just with our church, but in terms of this corona thing and very unusual times. There's not a single one of us that have lived through anything like this before. Very unusual times. And it's so easy for your view to get really focused in on your life and what's going on with your family and how you're being, being limited by the governor or the, the whoever and all these restrictions. And it's very easy to start to think that this is all there is. And yet you have to remember that there's a God who is the ancient of days, just like Daniel. He gets this vision of God in the midst of this, a tikkun, this God who is beyond what he's going through in this moment. That God has an eternal purpose that he's carrying out. So when you think about all that God wanted to do, I think uh, he says this in chapter 7, verse 27, about God, about a tikkun. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers, every one of them, will serve and ultimately obey him. So Daniel had to come to the place where he realized that though he was not in a comfortable place, and though he'd been taken away from everything he knew and loved, God, the ancient of days, was still in control. And for each of us, when we go through things that we don't know how they're going to end, we're not sure what's going on with them, we still have to put our faith in the ancient of days to know that time is in no way his enemy or limit him in any way. He's above it. He's beyond it. Isaiah 46 captures this idea of a tikkun, even though it doesn't actually use his name in this particular passage. It says this in verse 9 and 10 of Isaiah 46. Remember what happened long ago, for I am God, it's the name Elohim, and there's no other. I am God, and there's no one like me. Amen. <laughs> I declared the end from the beginning, and from long ago what is not yet done, saying my plan will take place, and I will do my will. Who do you think's in control? Atik Yom is in control. He's not limited. He's not threatened by anything that happens in our human uh, condition or our human circumstances. He's not threatened by any of that. He's above it and beyond it in every conceivable way. And so many times our focus is just that, that we lose our focus of the fact that the God that we sing to, the God that we love and give our worship to is a God who is 
so much bigger than everything that's going to happen even in our entire lifetime. You ever think about that? That God has you here on the earth right now for something that fits into his plan that is eternal, that is so much bigger than you and me. And so sometimes we always want to know how it relates to us. Maybe the question we ought to be asking is, how does this relate to God's plan? How does what's going on in my life right now relate to what Atik Yom wants to do and is doing to carry out his plan? Because the, the Bible makes it very clear he will carry out his plan. He's Elohim. He's supreme and sovereign. He's powerful. And so there's nothing to limit him. So think of this. Because he's Elohim, powerful, supreme, and sovereign, there's no one that can thwart him. Because he's uh, El Elyon, the most high, there's no one who can um, outsmart him. Because he's El Shaddai, the one who's the most high, the one who is uh, almighty, there's no one that can overpower him. And because he's a Tik Yom, the one who is above time, beyond time, the ancient of days, there's no one that can outlive him. God is completely in control of what happens in time and history. So what that means is that God has the first word and he has the final word. The Bible says about Jesus that he's the alpha and he's the omega, the beginning and the end. And so that means for Marbury Baptist Church, let's just bring it home this morning. That means for Marbury Baptist Church that God had the first word about us 82 years ago when we became a church. That six years ago, he had the first word about our Marshall campus coming into being. And that ultimately, he will have the final word on whether or not we're still a church or something else or Jesus comes back or whatever happens in the end. But the point is, he has the first word and he has the final word about who we are as a church and what we do as a church. And I love that because I know that sometimes even in the midst of what we're going through, we may be tempted to think, well, what's going to happen to our church? Are, are we still going to be the same church? I hope we're a lot better church going forward. I hope we're more intentional about sharing the gospel. And I hope we're more intentional about discipling people and helping them grow in their relationship with God. That's what God wants. He has a plan. Remember what he said, my plan will take place and I will do my will. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 16, 18, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Promise, certain, the gates of hell will not prevail against it because God is a teak yom. He's before and he's after and nothing can thwart what he wants to do in our lives. So we have this, we have the heart of Jesus. We have this gospel passion about ourselves as a church that seeks to share the gospel. Every time we come together in this room, uh, under normal circumstances, there's always new people here. There's always first time guests here. Do you believe that? I mean, do you look around, you guys over here, do y'all ever talk to you guys over here and you guys over here, do y'all ever talk to these guys and do you guys ever talk to these guys? I mean, you're, fun, you're so funny. I remember you guys, some of you sat in the same place eight weeks ago when you used to come here. You just come in to find your place, right? I want to seat you over here. No, I'm sitting over here. This is my seat over here. You know, we're just creatures of habit. And sometimes we come in and again, we've just got this view of our life. I need something from the Lord today. I need the Lord to speak to me today. And we're not even looking around for people who may be here for the very first time seeking the Lord. And y'all, I said that at the eight o'clock service today, the eight o'clock service. People actually got up at eight o'clock and came this morning. And there was a first time guest here in our church service this morning. I didn't know that when I said that. A young lady, she sat about halfway back over here. And at the end of the service, when I said, listen, if you'd like to know more about receiving Christ, you can come to the hospitality room. She marched herself right to the hospitality room and she gave her life to Jesus Christ this morning at our church at eight o'clock. That's who we've been as a church. 
That's who we're going to continue to be. Share the gospel with people. Help them to know what the Lord wants for them. So I would just encourage you, when you come onto this campus, try to get outside of your little view of your life and open up your horizon a little bit and realize that God may have you here more than just for what you can get out for your life today or get out of the service for your life. And there's, there's probably somebody here this morning who might need a good word or just a greeting or just, hey, what's your name? I'm Paul. And you may find out they've been here forever. I talked to a couple this morning who are sitting right back there. Have I talked to y'all before? We've been here 10 years. Uh, yeah, sorry guys, yeah. Um, it's okay though, right? I'd rather know who they are than avoid people because I might not know who they are, you know, or I'm supposed to know who they are or whatever. It's a big church. You're not gonna know everybody. But if we come on this campus with the awareness that Atik Yom has, has started our church and is carrying it forward, then we have to know that when we're here, we're not just here for us. We're here for his purposes, which are bigger and so much further along than we can even imagine. So how are you doing reaching with your one, the person in your life that God has put in your life to share the gospel with? Sometimes in the midst of all this corona stuff, it's kind of, I know with my, one of my ones, I'd kind of not been able to see him. Our interaction typically happens at the gym and I hadn't been to the gym. So about two weeks ago, he texted me. No, I know what it was. Two weeks ago, our gym opened, but anyway, they didn't tell anybody. And so we were in there and um, I came up and started talking to him. It's great to see him. I hadn't seen him in eight weeks or whatever. And we've texted back and forth a little bit, but we hadn't seen each other. And so he said, well, how's it going at church? You know, what's that like? And I said, it's kind of strange. You know, I'm preaching to a camera and there's nobody in the room except the media guys, you know, and they're sick of looking at me. And you probably are too, for that matter. But anyway, I said, he goes, you preach to an empty room? I said, yeah, I do. You know, and he goes, What's that like? And I said, it's strange, very strange. Standing in one spot, look at a piece of glass, you know, and imagine all the wonderful faces of people that you love and see. So I said, you know, it's just kind of strange. He goes, do you do that on Sunday morning? I said, no, I do it on Thursdays about one o'clock. And he goes, this was like a Monday. He said, so are you doing it this Thursday? And I said, yeah. He goes, can I come? I was like, sure. Why? Okay, sure. Yeah. You want to come watch me preach? Okay, sure. So he texted me on Thursday morning and said, hey, I'm coming about noon and I'll meet you such as, I said, meet me up here under the cover. He said, I'm going to bring you lunch. And so he and another guy came and I said, now look, guys, you're going to sit over here. You can't make noise because I don't want to start over. Okay, so don't be over here talking. You know, I'm like, do not make me start over because that's horrible. So just don't make me start over. So anyway, they're great. They're such a, turn your phones off. They're just sitting there. So the guy that I've been sharing Christ with actually came and listened to me preach and then share the gospel at the end of that message. And then we went out in the lobby and had lunch together, you know? So God's still at work, right? I mean, even this morning, a lady giving her life to the Lord, we, who would ever guess that on the day we come back to worship, there'd be somebody new here, first of all, and that that person would be the one that would give their life to Jesus Christ. But that's who our church is. And that's who we want to continue to be because that's what God's purpose is for us. That's what he has for us. If you want to read because what he talks about here is the idea that Atik Yom in this situation is a judge. He's the final judge. And ultimately, he's going to rule over every power, every kingdom that exists on the planet. And so if you want to read more about how that's going to look, you could go to Matthew 25 sometime this week and just read. Jesus told the story of the, of the final judgment and how God will separate the sheep from the goats. And you could read about that and kind of know more about that. But there's also a place in Revelation that talks about that. And I'm going to read that to you. It's not going to be on the screen because I want you just to listen to these words. This is how, this is how Atik Yom will judge ultimately. It says in Revelation 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no one was found for them. 
I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown also into the lake of fire. Now, why would I read that? Because that day is coming for every single person who doesn't know the Lord. Every person that you sit next to at work, every person that you sit next to at school or you're on a team with, every friend, every neighbor, every relative of yours, ultimately, because the Bible says all the dead will come to judgment. And they will face this judge who is perfect, who is before time and after time, and completely impartial and fair and knows all truth. The books will be opened, it says, and all the sin, all the things that men have done against the Lord will be recorded there and judged. So that's a horrible thought, except we're not there yet. And we still have a chance as believers in Jesus Christ to affect change in other people's life. We can't change anyone, but the Holy Spirit through us by sharing the gospel can affect change in people's lives. And I think there's a great many people who don't even know that day's coming in their future. We don't talk that much about judgment anymore, but that day is coming. And those of us who know the Lord who've escaped that horrible judgment should be about telling people how they can avoid and escape that day in their life. Because that is, that is a tik yom. He is the ultimate judge before time and after time. And ultimately he will judge all the living and the dead. So that's the first name I want you to discover this morning. The second name is this, the name Yahweh Nisi or Nisi. And it's the compound of Yahweh, which means self-existent, personal, and present. And then the name or the word Nisi or Nisi means my banner. So it literally means the Lord is my banner. So that's found in Exodus 17, if you want to flip over there. If you, if you look over there, what you'll see is in Exodus 17 that Moses has led the people, you know, into the wilderness and they're out in the desert and they don't have any water. And then while they're looking for water, God gives them water. And then the Amalekites come and attack them. And I think this is Moses' first experience at being a military leader. So he tells Joshua to get some men and go down and fight. And he says, I'm going to go up on the hill. Moses wasn't a dumb guy. You know, he's like, you guys fight. I'm going to go up on the hill. But he says, I'm going to raise the staff. Remember the staff God gave him? And he said, I'm going to raise the staff. And as long as I hold the staff up, God was, what happened was as long as he held the staff up, God gave him victory over the Amalekites. And then as he lowered the staff, because he got tired, the Amalekites would have the victory. So he's sitting up there. And you know, if you've ever held your hands up for any length of time, even if there's nothing in them, eventually your arms really start to hurt and you get tired. So this went on for hours. So they put a big rock down and have him sit down. And then Aaron gets on one side of him and Her gets on the other side of him and they hold his arms up. And again, as long as his arms are held high, they have the victory. So it's an amazing thing. So at the end of that, the Israelites are victorious. And Moses says that uh, the Lord is my banner. He names Yahweh or he calls out Yahweh's name, Yahweh, Nissi, Yahweh. God is my banner. He's my banner. He's my rallying point. Think about what a banner or a flag does. You know, we watch the Olympics and people come into the Olympic stadium and all the teams come in and they all do the same thing. They walk behind a flag and they hold their flag high. You guys see the American flag here this morning, the Christian flag here. Those flags mean something. Probably not the Christian flag as much. We don't, as Christians, we don't march around with the Christian flag. We don't typically make t-shirts with that on it or put it on bumper stickers like we do with the American flag. But the American flag is very much the same thing. When you hold up a flag, what you're saying is 
That is, that is what I'm for. That's what I stand for. I rep- that represents what I believe in, what I care about. Freedom, you know, in the American way and those kind of ideals. And so when people hold the flag up, in battle when they hold the flag up, it's like a unifying thing. That's what we're fighting together for. They hold the flag up and it represents this idea of this is, this is fortification for us. That's where we get our instructions. That's where we take our instructions from. So the flag is a symbol. It's a symbol of this idea of rallying point. And you guys remember, probably those of you who were alive, and some of you may not have been, but right after 9-11, way back 20 years ago, uh, you could find American flags everywhere. People put them on everything. They stuck them on their vehicles. They put them on T-shirts. I was a youth pastor at the time, and we made name tags for this retreat, and I made the name tag an American flag. I mean, people were just like, I want to have an American flag because I feel unified with other people in my country because of what we've been through. You guys remember that? And it was, a, it was a time when, in my life, it was unprecedented. I'd never seen people rally around the flag that much because the flag represented us. It wasn't like we worshiped the flag. It just stood for something. And so uh, for, for me in my life, my grandfather fought in World War I. And he actually fought on the front lines in trench warfare over in Germany. And uh, he'd never talk about it. But my wife and I went to the World War I Museum up in Kansas City one year and they have a kind of a uh, display of what the trench warfare situation was, was like. And you've probably seen movies that describe that. It was brutal. These guys living in these muddy trenches day in and day out and just a few hundred yards away where their enemies also in trenches and they're firing and they'd stand up out of those trenches and charge each other and, and just brutal warfare. But their flag meant something to them. And at that time, my great-grandmother um, had an American flag that she would literally put in her lap every day and she would pray for my granddad every day that he was gone over there. And he did come back home. He made it through the war. Um, and she put that flag on her lap, not because the flag was magic, but because the flag represented his service. And this is Memorial Day weekend. Some of you have people in your family who, like Greg said a minute ago, have given the ultimate sacrifice. They've laid down their lives so that we can have freedom in our country and not be ruled by a dictator. Well, my grandfather was part of that in World War I, and uh, he would never talk about it, but he wore this actual ring that I wear, history lesson this morning, he wore this ring. This has his initials on it. He and I have the same initials, and I took it several years ago as my wedding ring, but he wore this ring in those trenches in the mid and early 1900s when he fought over there, and his mother prayed for him every day. I had that flag framed in my office because it means something. It's not the flag, it's what it symbolizes. So when you say, when Jesus, I mean, when Moses says that the Lord is my flag or my banner or my rallying point, we understand that because for us, Jesus is our rallying point as believers in Jesus Christ. You remember several years ago, First Baptist Church here, they made those red signs that just said Jesus on them. And they were, I still, you can still see some of them all over town. I wanted one. I don't go to First Baptist Church, but I was like, I want one of those signs for my yard because when you talk about Jesus, I don't care who you are, I'm with you. Jesus is my rallying point. Jesus is my banner. He is yours too as a follower of his. So if I don't have anything else in common with you, if we have that in common, if we're believers, that's really all that matters. The rest of it doesn't matter. And so what Moses said was, it's not my staff that's my banner. It's not my staff that's my rallying point. It's the Lord himself. So we have a Christian flag, but that's not our rallying point. It's the Lord himself who's our rallying point. So for us as a church, That's critical because we are going to continue to lift up Jesus and do what he says and take our instructions from him because he's the one that guides us. So let me ask you a question. Are there in your life, are there other flags, are there other rallying points in your life that you would say 
or over Jesus. For sometimes in our lives, you know, it could be a, a social cause that we're involved in. And many times we get involved in a social cause because of our faith in Jesus Christ. That's fine. But for some people, even believers, sometimes their social cause is really more of a rallying point for them than even their Savior. For some of us, politics has taken that place. And I think Christians should be involved in politics. And I think your, your Christianity, if you're following the Lord, you're going to vote a certain way because you're going to follow through on the things that he taught his values and those kind of things like that. So I don't think it's bad to be involved in politics. But if politics is more of a rallying point in your life than Jesus, then there's a problem with that. If you more readily would like to talk and will talk to people about politics than you would about Jesus, then you need to think about, is Jesus really your banner? Is he really your rallying point in your life? What are you most readily to talk about with people? Um, because that will tell you a lot about that. Well, centuries before Jesus was born, God described Jesus in this way in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. He said, on that day, the root of Jesse, which is Jesus, will stand as a banner for the peoples. And the nation will look to him for guidance and his resting place will be glorious. So, so how do these two ideas, Atik Yom and Yahweh Nisi or Nisi, how do they go together? How do they complement each other? Well, if you go back to Daniel 7, it's amazing. They're bo both ideas are there. It's a God thing. Daniel 7, 13 says this. This is Daniel speaking. I continued watching in the night visions. He's continuing to have these dreams and visions. And suddenly one like a son of man, remember that's what Jesus referred to himself. This is where he got that from. This is how he referred to himself. One like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days, Atikyom, and was escorted before him. And he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. So in, that, in Daniel, it's amazing. You have the idea of the Lord Jesus coming forth in his glory and all the nations being gathered to him. And that's, that's who we are as a church. We are a church who continues to make Jesus known to anyone and everyone, and to go not just, not just being active in that in Longview, but to go out beyond Longview to other parts of the world to share the gospel. We're gonna continue to do that. That's who we are. Nothing's gonna change that because that's God's plan for our, our church and for our lives. And so this morning, what I wanna ask you is just real simple as we close this out. Are you with us? Are we together? as a church. I know you're here this morning. I'm so thankful for that. But are you with us? Are we moving forward as a church together? I hope that you'll say yes to that in the days ahead. I hope that if you're not a member of our church, that you'll consider in the days ahead actually uniting with us and becoming a member, putting down your commitment here and saying, God has led me here and we want to be fully engaged here. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. And what we're going to do to close the service is a little different this morning. I'm going to ask in just a second for all of us to stand. I'm going to pray and ask you to stand. And we're actually going to sing that song that we sang at the very beginning of the service, Victory in Jesus, it's a good foot stomper, so you guys need that this morning. And it's really the truth because Jesus is our banner. He is our rallying point. And so I want you to stand just a minute and let's sing to him. Father, I pray now that you would take us to a place we've never been in the life of Moderately Baptist Church in 82 years. And Lord, we've been to some great places. You have done amazing things through the people of this church. And God, we pray you would do it again and again and again because we recognize that we're part of your eternal plan, that you're bigger even than, than what we can imagine. But we thank you, Lord, that you're intimate, that you're close. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to celebrate in our hearts that we do have victory in Jesus and we thank you for that victory. 
And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.